Thank you. It's wonderful to be here. Please be seated. It's always an honor to be here. You can tell how desperate Clinton was to inviting me here, but it's wonderful. I enjoy this. I came one time prior, before I was giving, uh, Clinton wanted me to give a sermon title, and I'm not very good at sermon titles, so you can decide whether or not this one is good or not good. Soothing rain or scorching heat, which do you prefer? I suggested, my first suggestion was sermon number two. So he told me to go to the, back to the drawing board. He just laughed at my third idea, and he didn't even push that when it was Son of God Barbecue. And you may, you know, so, because we're going to, you'll see in a moment we're going to read the gospel lesson for today, what I'm referring to, perhaps. If not, my humor is beyond myself even at times. But I invite you to stand. In my tradition, when we read the gospel, we invite you to stand because it's a place and position of honor, because we're hearing the words of life from Jesus himself. Um, and in my tradition as well, we're assigned certain readings for different Sundays, which is a challenge, you know, because I would love to just always pick what I want to preach on. But this one is a particular challenge in a variety of respects. It's the gospel according to Luke chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. Jesus said, I came to bring fire to the earth. Remember Son of God barbecue? And how I wish they were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division from now on. Five in one household will be divided, three against two, two against three. They will be divided. Father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain. And so it happens when you see the south wind blowing, you say there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? See what I mean? What a challenge in one sense that lesson is. I invite you to be seated. So. But scorching heat or soothing rain. Now, Jesus has been hanging out, out in Galilee, and by today's passage in that 12th chapter of Luke, he's traveling toward Jerusalem. Crowds continue to gather and grow wherever he goes because, well, he's a pretty cool guy. And don't tell Clinton this, but he is cooler than Clinton, you know. So. Demons are cast out. He's healing folks left and right. He's even trending on Twitter. Hashtag Jesus is awesome. You can almost imagine him wearing Birkenstocks, a cup of locally grown roasted coffee in hand. And not surprisingly, Jesus has been teaching as he goes, a parable here, an exhortation there. In fact, early in this chapter, his teaching feel rather reassuring and cozy, telling us and telling his followers not to worry. Consider the birds of the air, the lilies of the field. Great words. We love those words, reminding them that they are precious in God's sight. And hear these words of comfort. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure 
to give you the kingdom. Wonderful words. That's my kind of Jesus with his gentle hipster ways and kindly prose. But then fast forward a few verses later in today's passage, it feels like Jesus, you know, the, the children's book, Alexander's Horrible, Bad Day. Well, this is, Jesus had a terrible, horrible, no good, very bad day, it seems like, because here's his words. I've come to bring fire to the earth, and oh, how I wish it were blazing already. Do you think I've come to bring peace to the earth? No, I have come for division. Jesus is confronting and disrupting and turning things upside down. What happened to considering the lilies of the field, Jesus, the feel-good Jesus I love so much, and our preciousness in God's sight? Where did this angry guy come from? Perhaps he needs to sit down with a therapist or time with Clinton or at least have more coffee or perhaps having less coffee, depending upon how much he had that morning. We don't really like talking about this Jesus. This Jesus feels wrathful, angry, intimidating. Not many kids are memorizing this verse at church camp. If not, as a parent, you might be worried. Nor do people embroider it on pillows to put in their homes or hang it in the entryways of their homes. And here's a piece of advice. If you go into someone's home and this is hanging up, I would run as fast as I could. I don't care what they're serving for dinner. It might be me. I don't know. <laughs> but, but it's a mistake to skip over these words, although we're tempted to. That's why I love in one sense for my tradition, they force me to deal with it. Jesus' anger, we often assume, has no place in our modern, sophisticated, grown-up theology. So let's turn to something a little less grown-up. How many of you are familiar with uh, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, C.S. Lewis? I think many of us are. There, four British siblings enter a coat closet and discover a whole new world called Narnia, a magical world with talking animals and guess what? The original Lion King. So, the youngest child, Lucy, strikes up a conversation with Mr. Beaver asking about Aslan. Is he quite safe? To which Mr. Beaver replies these words. Of course he isn't safe, but who's, who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he is good. He is good. Of course, in a very real sense, God isn't safe. Your life will be transformed. So if you don't want to be transformed, don't come to Jesus or sing praises to Jesus' name because you're putting yourself in danger right there. Your life will be transformed, but God is good. There are those who like to dwell on the fiery rage of God. We've all heard them, the seemingly unsafe parts that scare us, trying to coerce us into obedience. But that kind of thinking often leaves little room for the goodness of God. Now, many parents and grandparents understand the anger that can come in the midst of real love. One of my friends told me once, before I had kids, I never knew I could love so much. 
or that any one person could make me so angry. (laughs) Sounds familiar, doesn't it? Loving parents know the unique heartache and rage that comes and bubbles up when a beloved child becomes enchanted by or entangled in things that lead to their child's grief or harm. Similar to parents love God's anger, holy anger must always be viewed through the lens of God's love for us, which may feel fierce and overwhelming, but which we know to be fundamentally good. There's a difference between wrath that is rooted in hatred and wrath that is rooted and grounded in profound and deep and passionate love. Anger that draws its energy from hatred is dedicated to our destruction and death, but anger that is motivated by love is dedicated to growth. And what you hear sometimes in church is called edification, building up. It's that intellectual, moral, spiritual instruction in order to be enlightened and uplifted. It's the process of fully becoming the person or the community like you, the community that God intends. If someone says something that edifies you, that builds you up, you may find it helpful and instructive and enlivening. However, sometimes an edifying truth has a bit of sting to it. I have cats, and one of them is kind of a crazy cat, and so, but try putting hydrogen peroxide on a wound and it stings a bit. Cleaning agents may sting and burn, but ultimately the peroxide is there to do good work, removing all the dirt, purifying the wound, and removing the debris that can poison it, readying it, preparing it for healing. The edifying anger of a good God may not feel easy or loving at times. But because it's grounded in love, it's offered with hope for your building up and your nourishing, not your destruction. Edifying anger seeks only to destroy the things that could ultimately destroy and harm you. It's calling you to your true self. Anger and fire are metaphorically linked in this passage that we have this morning, or this afternoon, I should say, as they are in much of Scripture. But it's not just a sign of anger. It's a sign of transformation. Think back to this. You probably can recognize it. Moses and the burning bush. Encounter with the burning bush at the foot of Mount Sinai when he encounters the great I Am. This experience leads Moses to a place of conflict with Pharaoh, but it also leads to liberation and freedom for God's people. This was a fire that burned but did not destroy. In the book of Daniel, you recognize these guys, or at least probably if I give you the hint of Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego find themselves facing execution when they would not bow down to King Nebuchadnezzar's idol. They're thrown into a fiery furnace of blazing fire and yet are left unharmed. And when the king looks inside, what does he see? He doesn't see the destruction of the three boys, but his eyes are transformed as his eyes are opened to the presence of God. This 
was a fire that burned but did not destroy. The prophet Malachi refers to God, the refiner who sits by the fire. We don't have a lot of professional refiners around the markets these days. It might be your spouse. They might want that role, but I won't go there. In ancient times, though, a refiner, otherwise known as a silversmith or a goldsmith, was on a lot of street corners. The process of refining a precious metal removes all the impurities to enable to be molded and shaped free from things that mar and deform the metal and lessen its value. It's a fine art requiring careful attention. The refiner is attentive and deliberate, carefully watching the silver as he holds it in the fire until the silver is purified. This is a fire that burns but doesn't destroy. There's a story about a woman who visits a silversmith once and she asks him how he knows when the silver silver is refined. When I can see my face in the silver, that's how I know it's refined. God is the refiner carefully holding His gaze on each one of you as He refines precious metal until it reflects His own image back at Him in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Now, the fire of God's anger is directed at injustice, at oppression, at the sin in the world around us, but also in ourselves, our own lives. But it burns away until what is precious and beautiful is revealed. The fire edifies us so that we are transformed into that beautiful likeness of Christ. It's no wonder that fire has also come to signify something else. Guess what? The Holy Spirit. We often use that as an image of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is a fire that burns but does not destroy. But let's be honest. We're talking about fire, and we know that fire does burn. And the process of transformation is not always one without pain. Anyone who's been through some type of significant personal transformation knows this pain firsthand. Recently, the New York Times published an article entitled, Can Forgiveness Play a Role in Criminal Justice? Now, I often don't read those articles, but it's the forgiveness part that caught my eye. The story is the story of Connor and Anne, a young couple Barely out of high school, they were close. Their families were close with no history of violence. The news that Connor had shot Anne was a shock to everyone. Anne's dad recalls praying by his daughter's bedside in the intensive care unit. She was intubated and dying, unable to speak, yet somehow he felt his unconscious daughter speak to him over and over and say, forgive me. Forgive him. Forgive him. His response was immediate and audible. We would give it ourselves, no doubt. No, it's impossible. You're asking too much. And Anne remained on life support for a few days before she died. And during that time, 
her dad realized that it wasn't just Anne asking him over and over again to forgive Connor, but guess what? It was also the voice of Jesus. So instead of focusing solely on the crime and punishment which was going to happen, it didn't change that. Anne's parents decided to embark on a journey of reconciliation through restorative justice. That meant three days of sitting in a room with Connor, his parents, and a facilitator telling difficult truths, exposing deep rage and anguish, not protecting each other from the horrors of the crime or from everyone's unimaginable loss. The pain was real. The criminal lawyer who was there said it was excruciating to listen to them talk. It was as traumatic as anything I've ever listened to in my life. By the end of the three days, though, a transformation had taken place in each person. But perhaps most notably in Anne's father, whose no forgiveness is impossible, turned into yes forgiveness is possible. But with that yes came a price, a big price. This was not cheap forgiveness. This was not cheap grace. This was the hardest thing in the world for this father. Anne's father let himself go through the flames of anguish to have his anger and pride, his shame and helplessness at the tragic death of his daughter slowly began to burn away, to fall and turn to ash until what was left was real forgiveness tried by fire. And these two families did not ask to be in this fiery crucible, this fiery furnace, none of us ever would, or to encounter the pain of the flames. But in finding themselves there, they sat in the refining fire. And this process didn't end in destruction, but in reconciliation, a measure of peace and a glimmer of hope, a glimmer of hope in the midst of it all. Now, the good news for us at least some of the time, is it's not just the refiner by the fire, the one who places us into the fire, because sometimes we're there. But God is the fire. God is right there with us in the searing heat of the flames, burning with us until all is made pure. It's not an easy process. It's easy as where the reference was at one point with the singing, in the good times to sing praises to God, it's awfully hard when nothing seems to be going right in the world, or at least in my world. There's a scripture from 2 Timothy that I absolutely love that says, fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. Fan into flame the gift of God that is in you. Our God, who is fire, yearns for His story to come blazing to life in you, in you, and for our lives to reveal the beautiful, precious, and loving vision of God, 
There are prophets in our midst who capture God's beautiful vision for the world, and they become enraged by the injustices they see and the ways the precious lives are often or all too often compromised. There's a reason the terms angry and prophet often go together, because there's a lot to be angry about in the world. But how was that refined? Lisa Fithian, I'm sure you never heard of, but she was a prominent social activist in the 1970s. She was she sometimes asked the question of, what do you do? And when people ask me, she said, I say, I create crises because a crisis is that edge where change is possible. It's the place where change is possible, providing the opportunity for self-examination, providing us to a possible change of course in our life. Now, in the U.S., where I'm from, the West has seen terrible wildfires for a number of years. Our son Benjamin fights these fires, Bureau of Land Management, and as a father, that scares the heck out of me. But he loves it. It's his passion. Recently, I was, recently I was reminded of something provo provocative. A forest that is affected by fire experiences something called plant adaptation. Plants and trees often adapt to be more resistant to fire. They become stronger, more resistant in the face of future danger. Also, and here's the amazing thing, there's increased growth in the forest after a fire. The heat from the fire triggers the dormant pine cone seeds to pop open and land in the charred and ashy soil, which is mysteriously rich soil for new life to burst forth. Environmental experts are now realizing the importance of fire for the pruning and regeneration of forest. Fire is important to enable new life, new creation to burst forth from the earth. So when Jesus says, I have come to bring fire to the earth and how I wish you were already kindled, it doesn't sound like it, but those are actually can be interpreted as words of hope because of what's being enkindled in us. We are given the opportunity to trust God's goodness, God's mercy, God's love, even in the midst of the blaze. We are given the opportunity to be edified, to be built up, to stand in the fire that burns but does not destroy. The next time you feel the heat of life burning around you, and the smoke is so thick that you can't even see the next steps you are to take. The next time you find yourself standing in the midst of the flames of crisis, remember the strange fire of God. Remember that God is with you in the fire and that you are being molded into something precious. And left the ashes left after the forest fire produce rich soil. The ashes left behind after the strange fire of God, of God's refining, are the starting point for new life. God invites us to abundant life. This has been true from the beginning. God has used dust and ash 
maybe sandstorms, I'm not so sure there, but, but to create since the very beginning of time, the Garden of Eden, kneeling in the soil, breathing new life. And God can and does do that with us today. God kneels in the dirt and ash, gently whispering, intending, patiently cherishing and coaxing new life out of places that appear charred and ruined, where we see only worthless destruction. God sees promise and hope. God sees promise and hope in each and every one of you. And thank God, God isn't finished with any of us yet. Now, in this burned and ashy ground, guess what? New life is going to come. New life is going to come because God is present. God is faithful. God will never give up on us. And we put our place, our, put our trust in the living God. In the name of Jesus. We pray and surrender ourselves to God's loving arms and to that refining fire. But new life is going to come. It's a pleasure to be with you this morning. And I'm glad I was introduced because I did come in disguise, I thought, you know, so uh, by taking that off. But it's always a pleasure to be with you because. I get the opportunity to see how God is working, even if it's just a glimpse, a snapshot of how God is working in your lives to transform you into the image of Jesus Christ. And I thank you for that. And for the moment, at least, I want to reflect that back to you. You are created in the image and likeness of Jesus Christ. Remember that. Embrace that. Live like that. So let us pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you for your presence. We thank you for the ways in which you're working in this congregation. Hope, DSB. For the way you're working in them as a congregation, but also how you're working in their individual lives in known, but also in those unknown ways, those unfathomable ways that we don't even get because we only see one thing, but you're working in us, transforming us into your image and into your likeness. Be with them as they worship. Be with them as they surrender to you and to live into your call for their lives for their lives as a church, but also their lives as individuals, as they bear witness to you, as they submit to you, surrender to you. But they do it knowing that you are a God of love, that it may not always be safe because you're going to challenge us outside of ourselves, outside of our comfort zones, but you are working in us to transform us into your image. And so on this journey, be with them. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, bless them, keep them, and let them always seek after your face. We pray all this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ.